Good morning. All right. Uh, start in Matthew 28, verse 16. And, uh, I'm excited for this. You're either going to be encouraged through this, or you're either going to be to the point of... Uh, you're either going to be challenged by this message, or you're going to hate me. One of the two. But either way, we're going to preach it. So, uh, Matthew 28, verse 16 says... When the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, and, and mind you, this is right after Jesus raised from the dead. All the other Jews were trying to speculate a way, make up a way for people to believe that, uh, that the, the, the apostles stole Jesus' body. So whenever Jesus walks up and starts speaking, this is not in the plan of the the Jews. I'm sure this is a, oh no, this isn't good for us. Because they were going to say his body was stolen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for for who you are. I thank you, Jesus, that you did not stay dead, but you rose. I thank you that all authority is yours and not ours, not man's, not Satan's, Lord, but it's all your authority. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that the very words that are spoken would come straight from you, Lord, and they'd be used to completely change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we all have heard this. This is a great commission. This is what the church's job is. This is what Jesus said to do. It was his last major command. Was go and make disciples of all the world. We know as a church. We are called to reach our community. That is what we have been called to do. Uh, both here in Henderson and in Evansville. And I want to see how the apostles did it. I want to look in Acts. So we're going to go to Acts 1 here in a minute, and which would be right after talking to Jesus, right after Jesus gave them this, this command to go do these things. And, uh, and I want to remind you that his last thing is, is he said, I surely... And surely I am with you always. And it says to the very end of the age. So he will never not be with us. So as we talk about these things today, I want you to remember that none of us is hard as we make things out to be. That sometimes we just forget who's the one in charge. And we, uh, Thursday night, Kevin and I were praying and the Lord was speaking to us and it was such a powerful night. It was, it was an awesome night of prayer. But the one thing the Lord let us know was we're free from the, the control. We're free from, from uh, trying to control things. We're just, we're just vessels. We're just the ones he's using. It ain't about us. It's about him. So uh, Acts 1, and obviously this is written by Luke, and he says, it, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And, and I want to I point that out. Jesus was even being instructed by the Holy Spirit. He, him and the Holy Spirit, it was through the Holy Spirit that these instructions were coming. Uh, so that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we've preached this here over and over, and we understand that it happened. We know that they, they were to wait in Jerusalem until it comes. Till the Holy Spirit comes. Which was the second thing they were told. The first thing they were told is, when you get the Holy Spirit, take it out. Go out, make disciples, right? But now they're saying, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then we know the next command would be, take it out. Be my witnesses. And said, uh, where am I at here? Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised you, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's such a promise. Then, the gathering, then they gathered around him, asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yet another command. He's reminding them again, you will be my witnesses. And at this time, there's at least 120 people there. You will be my witnesses. He didn't say a few. He didn't say the eleven. He said, you will be my witnesses. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intensely up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. I always love this part. I don't know why it always gets me, but it says, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now these people seen some stuff we'd never seen. We believe it, but we never seen it. We didn't see our Savior die on a cross. We didn't see our our Savior raised from the dead in three days. And not only was he raised from the dead in three days, he was completely healed of all of his afflictions. In three days. He had scars, but in three days, they seen miracles. They were told, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Wait. And then they watched Jesus go into the sky. And I'm just thinking, what a beautiful moment. And then these two men come out and they say, hey, stop paying attention to what already happened. <laughs> and I'm like, I'd be looking too, right? It'd be, you'd be in such amazement. 
they just said, hey, he's coming back. Don't worry, right? So they seen some stuff we didn't see. They were given commands that we haven't been given. Things were a little different for them. We know that they went to Jerusalem. We know we waited. they waited. We know the Holy Spirit came down upon them. We know it, the Holy Spirit moved like tongues of fire all around them. We know they began speaking in tongues. People were hearing in all kinds of languages. I mean, we, we know what they've seen. We've, we've read the scriptures. They received the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up. He starts speaking. 3,000 saved immediately. Multiples keep getting saved throughout Jerusalem. Then if we go to Acts, and what we start realizing is uh, Acts 6 was probably somewhere around 8 to 10 years later. It was not like the next day. It wasn't like just a week or two later. This is probably about 8 to 10 years later all this happens. Acts 6 says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the the, the full number of the disciples and said, and mind you, this is the full number of disciples. This means there's thousands. It would have to be. Because we know 3,000 were added, and then we know others were added. So this would have been a lot of people. And it also says they've been increasing in numbers, so it had to be a whole bunch of people. Said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they all have been preaching the word of God. Thing is, some weren't doing the ministry. Right? So you would think you'd start assigning ministry roles, things like that. You do this, you do that. And, you know, you kind of back off, but that ain't exactly what happens. It does a little bit. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permenius, Nicholas, and a a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There were seven people doing the actual ministry work, waiting on the people, taking care of the people, serving the people, those in need. There were seven people doing it. And sometimes we think everybody should be doing the ministry part, the inside the house part. Wasn't the case. There were seven. The rest devoted themselves to preaching and praying. Wasn't seven. They didn't say, hey, the apostles, they're our leaders. They should be the ones doing everything. They didn't say that. They didn't say, since Stephen had all these great attributes, full of spirit 
and of wisdom. They didn't say he should be the one doing everything. They said we have seven who are set apart, who are wise, who are good at, at leader. They're, they're good at this stuff. We're going to have them do this. And the rest of us are going to do this thing called the Great Commission. The rest of us is go- are going to spread the gospel. Right? The gospel don't get spread inside of a building. It doesn't get spread in this building. All of us have heard the gospel. All of us know Jesus Christ. All of us are saved. And there are people who got to take care of this place. There are people who have to oversee things. But we're all part of the Great Commission. We're all supposed to be taking the gospel outside of here. You know, often, and, and I know Pastor Chad and Keevan hear the same things I hear, often we have people saying, why, why are we not doing something to take the Scripture or take, take God outside of these walls? My question is, why are we not? Right? I don't need Keevan to take and hold my hand while I walk out and spread the gospel. Should we have, are we planning on having groups go out? Yes, we will have groups going out. But we get trained every single Sunday a word that can be shared. We all have this salvation inside of us that we can go out witness to, to those who are around us. We all have it. It was a blessing. We all see people every day. Who's witnessing to them? Should I call up Pastor Chad and say, Hey, Pastor Chad, I'm at work and this guy's sitting next to me and I think he needs to know Jesus. Would you come witness to him? First off, that guy's going to think I'm a nutcase and Pastor Chad's probably going to say, "Uh, I can't make it to where you're working. I'm busy. But there is one person there who has a testimony. There is one person there who knows Jesus. There is one person there who can pray as the apostles were praying and, the, and all the disciples were praying and who can preach the gospel to him. Right? There is one there. And it would be me. Everywhere you go, there's one person who can witness. There may be more, but there's at least one. Right? We're going to go down to Acts 8, verse 1. I do want to point out at the end of 6 real quick, or verse 7 there, it did say, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These are people who were totally against what was going on. Priests were, these weren't Christians, these were Jews. And because of what they saw going on and because of people being witnesses and because of everything that was going on, things were happening. They, they were starting to get it. And even, even, that means even our doubters, even, even those who are stand against us, if we start doing this right, we'll start coming to the faith. Acts 1.8, like I said, now, now this here, just about every theologian will tell you by the time we get to Acts 8, it's been 10 years that they've been in Jerusalem. But what did Jesus tell them? Jesus said, be my witness, 
Jerusalem and Samaria and keep it going and go further and right. And we know our church has been called to be ministers into our community. And before I get into this, I'm going to tell you a quick reason why I, I, this is getting preached today. It's something the Lord's been speaking to my heart. But I have some friends whose church is shutting down in Owensboro this week. It's their last service. And as I was talking to one of the people this week, she said, you know, Eddie, our church was called to preach to the community. Our church was called to reach out, to spread the gospel across Owensboro. She said, we weren't doing it. We were so focused on the inside and what was going on inside the building, who wasn't doing what, what was going on. We weren't focused on what we were called to do. We were called to spread the gospel in Owensboro. She said, we weren't doing it, so God had to get our attention. And now every one of us will be moved throughout Owensboro. God had to act. God had to do something to that church to get those people outside of that building. He had to do it. Unfortunately, it caused for the close of a building. But now those people, as her and the pastor believe, are being sent out because... They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, right? Only seven out of those thousands stayed doing ministry work within the building, within the area. And those seven, we know because Stephen was put to death, and he preached one of the coolest messages ever as he's being put to death. We know he didn't stop preaching. We know he didn't stop witnessing. We know Philip didn't stop witnessing. Right, our pastor's our pastor, but he's still witnessing out in the out in the streets, out in the communities. I know this because I hear the stories, not just from him, but he works with my brother now, and I hear that at work he's ministering people at work. There's not a person in that place that doesn't love to see Chad walk in. Why is that? It's because he's being a witness where he's going. Right, we should be that same way. We should be a witness anywhere we go. Right. Okay, so Acts 8, right after they stoned Stephen, and he says, don't hold this against them. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. Hmm. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Ten years, they stayed where they were at. Ten years. And they were growing in numbers. They were doing, they were doing good stuff in Jerusalem. They were doing nothing outside of Jerusalem. They were growing in number in Jerusalem for ten years. Right after they watched everything Jesus did and Jesus said, go and do this. Like, if anybody should have been paying attention, if anybody should have got it, it should have been them and they didn't. It took Stephen being killed and then persecution coming amongst them for them to say, whoa, we got to get out of here. They didn't get out of there because they're like, oh, we need to go spread the gospel over here. They got out of there because they said, we're going to die if we stay here. We better go. And we have that here. We have people who have left our church because they don't know what to do. 
well, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of this building. We come here to be filled. We come here to be renewed. We come here to, to gather together that refreshment. We are called to gather together as brothers and sisters. But then we're also called to spread the gospel. We're called to push it out of these walls. And if we're not going to do it, God's going to have to do something to get our attention for it to happen. And, and I go back to, to the book of Esther, which we know Kaylee, Kaylee, Kaylee McEnany wrote a book on this, but it's Esther said in, in the book of Esther, she was told if she does not do what she's called to do, she was told, you were called for a moment such as this. But if you do not do it, I will raise somebody up in your place. If we do not do this, God will bless somebody else with the opportunity to reach our community. It'll be taken from us. And it won't be my fault. It won't be Pastor Chad's fault. It won't be God's fault. It'll be our fault. It'll be each individual person's fault who's not taking the gospel out. It's each person's responsibility to be witnesses. Not a church body whole as much as individual. You're only responsible for yourself in this. Right? We're responsible for it. And it's so simple. It's hard in the fact that we let it be hard, but it's so simple because Jesus said, I will be with you. I will be with you. So when we step out and Jesus is with us, we have the Holy Spirit with us, and we've been praying before we step out, it's so simple, we just let Jesus do the work. But we complicate it because we walk into somewhere without being prayed up, without talking to God, without Jesus with us, and we go in and we say, what if they think I'm an idiot? What if they don't listen to me? What if what if I get fired? What if they think I'm just they tell me to get out? What what if? We have all these what ifs in our mind, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called to just go in and do it. The what ifs are up to God. If I get kicked out, it was for the Lord. What a blessing, right? If you get persecuted for Jesus, then hey, you're in good company. He got persecuted too. I'd rather be in the side of those getting persecuted for Jesus than those who are not doing anything for Jesus. That's not a good side to be on. I don't want to be on the opposite side of what Jesus was on. But we have to start thinking these ways. said, uh, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Then it goes on and it says, Those who had, begin, uh, had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the uh, Messiah there. With the, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And we know that from what 
Philip does here whenever he goes out, when he's sent out, and he's still witnessing where he goes. We know from that the Peter and I think it was John went there. They were able to really line up a great ministry there. They were able to do great things in that community because Philip went out sharing the gospel. But he probably wouldn't have done it if there wasn't persecution. And and I, I wonder often that if they would have just went, if they were just doing what they were told to do, would persecution have had to come? Maybe, but I don't know. We'll never know because they didn't do what they were supposed to do right away. It took persecution to spread the gospel. Not us. We like to be comfortable. The thought of like anything coming against us and we're like, nope, not me. Right? And there's a lot of ways we get to the point to where we're witnesses. Something the Lord's been showing me lately, and I shared it in men's group yesterday, is we often pray for God's will to be done. We have we have the Lord's Prayer. It says, Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And how many times do we pray that and we actually want that? Think about that. How often are words true? Sometimes we pray and we're, we're just actually just talking. We're not even recognizing who we're praying to. Especially when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes that's just out of, okay, I'm going to say it because it needs to be said. But if we truly wanted God's will to be done in us, if we truly wanted that and we, we seek that, things would be different. The kingdom would be growing here on earth instead of shrinking. See, they were doing this. They were sharing the gospel at least throughout Jerusalem before they took it out everywhere else. We got to get good at sharing the gospel in our community and actually reaching our community before we can do like we believe we will be doing and sending people out. But we have to get good at doing it here. But in our communities, the gospel's not spreading, it's dying. In our communities, the kingdom's not growing, it's shrinking. In our community, people are turning away from God in record numbers. Churches are closing down in record numbers. In our community. And I imagine God will allow it to keep happening if we're not witnesses to all the earth. And at least starting out in Jerusalem. Starting out here in Henderson. Starting out in Evansville. We have to be witnesses and we have to do it. It's not on church leaders. The church leaders are the seven that are serving and preaching and doing. The rest of us still got a responsibility. All of us. We have this responsibility in us. And as I was driving here this morning, and Richard, you guys can come on up because I'm just about done here. But as I was driving here, there's four things the Lord brought to my mind. And uh, I don't ever give four points. I'm not a, you know, a fourfold ministry guy or fivefold, five points. You know, I don't do that usually, but today I'm going to give you four thoughts on this, right? And this is how we know that we're in God's will. 
four things to know that we're, we're where we should be doing. Our lives are looking the way they should look. Right. Number one is, the way we could always tell it is you, you ask yourself, and you're going to have to ask it today, have I been praying for God's will in my life? Have I been praying for God's will in my life? That's number one. If we're not asking God to move in our lives, we're not asking God's will in our life, if we're not asking that our lives would line up completely with Him, and we surrender our lives to Him, we say, hey, God, I'm tired of doing things my way. I want it your way. Take my will away. I want yours. Do what you need to do in me. Today, whenever I start out my day, I want everything to align perfectly with you. Not, Lord, would you come be a part of this? Lord, would you come be a part of that? That's what we often do. We go do our thing and ask God to be a part of it. But instead, we're going to ask, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Show me how to do that. Right? The second one is this. Do the things I do align with Scripture? We are giving the Word of God. And we do some things that aren't bad, but are they biblical? Do they align with, with what God's doing, right? It, uh, I, I think like when you read Scripture sometimes, we, uh, and I say does it align with Scripture, and the reason why I, I say that it does align with Scripture is because some things we do may actually contradict scripture a little bit it may lead people more away from god than it does to god right the word of god always leads to god our actions should always lead to god what we do on a daily basis should always lead to god it should always line up with scripture just like scripture is always leading to god that should be the same the third one is this Is God in the things I do every day? So when I go to work, is God in that with me? Whenever I go hang out with my friends, is God there? Or is God just in the, in the certain places I go to? Right? On a daily basis, all day long, is God walking with me in it? Or am I walking with Him in it? I have to make those, those, uh, Discernments. I have to figure those things out. I actually have to. That should be a prayer also. You know it. You know on a daily basis when you leave somewhere how you, if you feel right or wrong about that, that situation. You know. And the last one was, what does the fruit look like in it? The things you do on a daily basis, the way we live every day, how does it look? What kind of result comes from it? Are people drawn more to Christ because you're there? Or do they stay the same or are they pushed away? I would like to think anywhere I go, hopefully, and I know it doesn't happen this way, but I would like to think that wherever I go, there's a little more Christ when I leave. I would like to think that wherever I'm at, people are drawn a little bit more to God. I would like to think that in all that I do, that people would see Jesus. I fail at that. But I shouldn't. I should be praying 
All of these things. These are the things that my life should look like. And that's a great way to start being a witness. Because they'll first notice something different in you. And it also allows you to begin speaking. When somebody says to you, hey, Keeve, you look a lot different than other people. You can be like, you know why? Because I used to look like everybody else and Jesus saved me. I used to look like everybody else. I was lost. I was hopeless. I didn't know what to do. And then Jesus. Everything changed. We all have a different testimony. We all have a different uh, story. And it's unique to us. And we're the only ones who really know how to tell it. And as you tell your story, people will listen. They'll begin to change. They'll be like, wow, that person's really messed up. (laughs) But now they have a joy. Right? And uh, so... If we can stand, I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. I hope as, we, uh, as we're worshiping, we would pray and we would ask these things. We'd ask God's will in our lives. We could be such great witnesses to our community. And, and one thing I'm going to say before that, and, uh, oftentimes we're willing to go out and witness to people about our church. Tell them what's going on with our church or we invite them to church. People are rarely going to come to a church when you invite them to church. But when you go out and you witness to people about Jesus and you invite them to Jesus. And you're actually witnessing about Jesus, not your church. Change starts happening. They start wanting to know Jesus. We should never start out with saying, hey, you should come to church with me. We should start out and say, hey, do you know Jesus? If we invite people to Jesus, they'll want to come to church to start changing. But they have to know, they're going to want to know about Jesus. You only get one shot usually to ask somebody about Jesus. If they know Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus. I don't want to waste that on just asking them to come to church. Right? In that case, it makes it easier to say, hey, would you like to come to church with me? But it's not what people need. They need Jesus. Right? So, Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for the love you've poured upon us. Before you, Lord, we've all, we were all miserable. We had no point in life. We had no, no true reason. We were lost, Lord. We may not have knew it in, in, in that moment, Lord, but we were so lost. But with you, Lord, you've given us such a testimony. With you, you've given us hope. Because of you, we have the Holy Spirit. Because of you, we... we We get to share in witnessing to others, Lord, to helping your kingdom grow. Lord, I pray today that you would, you would search us, Lord. That you would reveal to us, Lord, the things that keep us from witnessing more, that keep us from following you more, Lord. 
I pray, God, as we go into this worship, Lord, that we would uh, we would truly seek You and seek Your will, Lord. Hmm. Holy Spirit, move. As we worship and pray, just ask the Holy Spirit to move. I want to remind you that uh, as witnesses, all we have to do is give account of what we've seen. That the lawyer's the advocate. He's the one who's trying to make a case, right? He's the one trying to convince the truth. And that's the Holy Spirit, not us. We don't have to convince people what we say is true. All we have to do is be a witness to the truth. We just give our story. We give what we've seen. Sometimes we try to preach people to Christ. All we have to do is be witnesses to Him. The Holy Spirit takes care of the rest. Sometimes we try to be the Holy Spirit and we're not. Right? We don't have to be the Holy Spirit. We don't have to judge people. We don't have to tell them how wrong they are. That's the Father's job. All we have to do is point them to Christ. And let God do the rest. So I'm going to challenge you this week that, that you'd be in prayer about these things and that that you witnessed at least one this week. We start out small, we witness to one. And then they grow. I promise you, if you can witness to one person this week, it becomes addictive. It becomes who you are. And you, you begin to witness more and more and more and you start you start enjoying it because you start seeing the kingdom grow. You can start seeing God move. But just start with one. You don't have to start with everybody. We'll close us in prayer. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you that that you're always faithful, Lord, to us. You're always so good to us, Lord. I pray that as we go throughout this week, Lord, we would remember the words you you spoke, not me, Lord. Any words I may have spoke, Lord, I pray they would fall on deaf ears. I pray that they'd be wiped away and never remembered. Father God, I pray as we go throughout this week, Lord, we would be quick to remember who we're serving. We'd be quick to remember whose will we're living in, Lord. And we'd be quick to be witnesses to those around us, Lord. God, let us begin to see your kingdom grow, Lord. We need your help. Without you, we're nothing, Lord. But with you, Lord, we can share the gospel to all the earth. So, Lord, as we go through this week, keep us. Bless all the people here, Lord. And let them feel your love at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.